Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got a, um, two guests joining the show. We've got um, Chris Hively, who many of y'all know is the co-founder of MapQuest, um, helped get Techstars to, uh, to Raleigh, helped build out the Raleigh startup ecosystem. Um, and then we also have Evan Rosantis, who is new to the Davidson area, moved here from Boston about a year ago. He was a co-founder of the Launch Place, one of the first coding schools in um, in the in the world. Uh, founded back in 2012, and is working with Chris to um, you know potentially bring TechStars and the concept behind it to the Charlotte area. Uh, thought it'd be a great opportunity to sit down with the two of them and get their fee or get their feel for you know, what's going on in the Charlotte community, what's going right, um, what are they going to continue to build on, and, and how does this how does this process take place? Um, we've done this in the past, and we've kind of torn apart Charlotte, and this time, rather than tearing it apart, you'll find us really just talking about all the things that are right with it, um, and how this community is going to uh, you know, build out over the course of the next five or 10 years. So really good podcast. Certainly hope everybody enjoys it. Well, welcome to the show, Chris and Evan. I'm um, excited to do the podcast with you today. Uh, we've talked about it here over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think we've got an exciting uh, kind of list of questions to talk about what's happening here in the entrepreneurial space in Charlotte and what y'all are doing to move the needle even further. So thanks again for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, um, well, as I told both of you, I like to um, I like to jump in with a little bit of a softball question so that we get the the talking juices flowing a little bit. So, um, Chris, if you can do do us a favor and just give us a quick one to one to two minute introduction of yourself, and then we'll flip the mic over to Evan and let him do the same thing. Sure. Well, I'm a fellow North Carolinian living and operating in Raleigh, North Carolina and have been for the last 10 or 12 years. Originally from uh, Philadelphia, but got here via Chicago. Turns out I found out after 10 years that Chicago's cold about six months of the year. <laughs> I've got it down here. Uh, longtime entrepreneur, had an um, early success as a co-founder of MapQuest. Uh, turned that into kind of angel investor, ran a corporate venture fund. You know, was the adult supervision that got parachuted in to help scale up other companies. <clears throat> and um, all that together says that I have career ADD, as I call it. Uh, over the last 10 years, after making it uh, into the Raleigh Durham area about 12, 13 years ago, I uh, was reading about Techstars and Y Combinator and this new kind of incubator model we now call an accelerator, and just said, well, if one startup is fun, then 10 at a time should be a complete blast. And uh, what I'll share with that for everyone is that I kind of, uh, you know, stood up a couple of accelerators here in Raleigh-Durham. We invested in 42 companies, and but it really became a catalyst for growing our startup ecosystem. And I morphed into this thing called a ecosystem builder or community builder. And uh, a few years ago, decided to join the Techstars team and to seeing how we can take all those experiences and those observations and all of the activities that we have going in 
uh, not just in Raleigh Durham, but in Techstars as a whole, and see what I can do to help other communities kind of grow their their startup scene. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. I consider it to be a mission, and I do that around the world today. That's awesome. So I look forward to digging into that a little bit further here over the course of the next hour. Evan, uh, what's your one to two minute uh, commercial or story? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, William. I um, I am I now call Davidson, North Carolina, my my hometown, with my wife and my kids. Uh, we moved down here about a year ago. Um, and they're very excited to be here. Been very happy uh, with that decision. I, I started the first decade of my career um, in private equity. So I worked at a uh, firm out of Boston and then also one out of D.C. Um, and then right around the, the tail end, right around year eight or nine, I, I got the entrepreneurial bug, which was I was infected by from um, my parents, who were also entrepreneurs. And I uh, started moonlighting, and I started a, um, a promotional product company. And you know, I quickly found out that entrepreneurs, you know, they're not uh, rocket science scientists or magicians. They're, they're just hard workers, uh, like everybody else. And, um, and that was something that, I, 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 that really gave me the confidence to, to be an entrepreneur. And so I was fortunate enough um, to exit that company, and that allowed me to kind of jump ship from corporate America and um, my wife and I, who uh, we weren't yet married at the time, uh, started running through an, uh, uh, a, a company in uh, D.C. for which we followed the lean startup methodology to, to create. And uh, we quickly proved out a thesis that we had, uh, ran off, got married, um, took about a month, and then moved up to Boston, which was kind of the original plan for us. And then, and then in about year five or six of running that company together, she told me uh, that she had it covered and, um, you know, I should um, go find something else to do. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I was in a Starbucks in, in Harvard Square. I was trying to figure out what to do, and I was kind of scanning the Internet. And, you know, through the company that I started with, uh, my wife Megan, I determined, you know, that I, entrepreneurship was going to kind of be the route for my next move. I knew I liked to build things. I also learned that I wanted to help people. That was a pediatric healthcare company, and I really enjoyed going to bed at night knowing that I was helping people. And then, and I've always loved technology, so I was trying to find a way to, to put the three of those things together. So it was around early 2012 before um, kind of the any code schools uh, existed, um, and and there was a gentleman uh, who had uh, started teaching his cousin in uh, the valley how to code. He taught him in like 10 or 11 weeks um, out of his house with a few other folks, and all those folks ended up getting jobs at like PayPal and Twitter and Facebook. And so I quickly called up my wife on the phone, and I said, hey, you know, I think I might go out there and... Um, and learn to code. And she said, yeah, Evan, you should do it. And she hung up the phone and I kind of stared off uh, into the baristas uh, for about 10 minutes blindly. And I called her back up and I said, you know, I might start that here in Boston. And she said, sure, Evan, you should do it. And she hung up the phone. And so now I had the peer pressure of my wife and, you know, fellow entrepreneur. And there's only one problem is I, I didn't know how to code. And, and so I um, started socializing this concept in, in Boston at, um, at Boston Ruby Group meetups where uh, most of the modern technologists at the time were hanging out 
and I ended up bumping into my business partner, uh, Dan Pickett, who had previously for about five or six years been running a software consultancy, and he had been training folks uh, through his home, own homegrown um, apprenticeship program how to code. And, 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 you know, he loved the concept of education, and, and our morals really aligned. And so the two of us started one of the first code schools in the world, Launch Academy, and um, we still proudly uh, lead Launch Academy today, and we've helped over 1,000 people. Um, it feels really good to be able to build things, um, use technology, and help others. And and so about a year ago, we moved down um, here to, to North Carolina because uh, my wife's family was also here, and we have two young daughters, and anybody who has young kids knows you need a lot of help. And, um, and so we put them to work immediately with the girls. Yeah. And, um, and really ever since, you know, my kind of my 20% time nights and weekends I've been spending in the entrepreneurial community here, um, got some good early guidance from Chris uh, probably about six to nine months ago. He, he gave me an assignment that went out and hopefully um, accomplished that assignment and learned a lot. And, um, and and now here I am. That's awesome. Well, we're glad to have you here for sure. So um, let's kind of jump right into it. Um, talk about just kind of Charlotte and Charlotte's entrepreneurial scene. I mean, so Chris, you've been part of Raleigh's for quite some time now um, and quite frankly have helped grow it. And Evan, you were obviously part of Boston's for quite some time as well. Charlotte's entrepreneurial scene, you know, for all intents and purposes, got a slow start probably back in 2012, or at least as it currently exists. Um, And then over the course of the last couple years, it certainly seems to have picked up pace, and it's it's moved maybe out of first and into second gear. Um, But, Chris, kind of to you first, what does it take to get an innovation innovation ecosystem like Charlotte from call it first gear, second gear to second gear, fifth gear, where one might say Raleigh's probably you know shifting into fourth right about now, probably right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I should also qualify by saying I work with a partner, Brad Feld of Foundry Group and co-founder of TechStars, who wrote. A, a really good book about startup communities about seven years ago. Um, by the way, the book's called Startup Communities. So, uh, and I recommend anybody who's interested in kind of growing their, their local ecosystem to read it. Uh, by the way, we're working on a kind of a sequel to it called The Startup Community Way, which hopefully will be out by the end of, end of the year. Oh, cool. One of the things that he um, mentions uh, that, that uh, my partner and I in Raleigh-Durham Dave Neal and I kind of grabbed and made part of our, our Bible or our thesis was, was uh, the idea that this is a 20-year journey and that as part of that journey, you have to have some combination of kind of urgency and patience, right? And I know that doesn't sound, you know, necessarily normal. Those two things seem to be opposite each other, but there's always a tension here about, you know, trying to do a lot of things to get things going, but also have the patience to understand that success is through kind of a thousand nudges and it's every it's a collective whole of all those things that actually kind of evolves into uh, an ecosystem i'm going to stop there because if you don't i'll go on for an hour because obviously this is my business and my mission today but you know the first thing i would say is you know charlotte's doing some things um like a lot of many like many communities uh you know some communities are a little ahead of the game they're in third or fourth gear 
Some communities are just getting started, putting the putting their their car literally in gear as we speak. And so, um, you know, there's challenges ahead. There's also assets to build on, and uh, we just got to keep on keeping on. And, and by the way, I've spent a decent amount of time in Charlotte over the last five or six years. You know, I'm also a fan of North Carolina as a whole. So obviously, Charlotte's success is our success, and vice versa. So. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's my first two cents for it. Fair enough. Can you expand, can you talk a little bit about the various innovation products or um, innovation platforms you typically work with cities through Techstars? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so a great ecosystem is made up of kind of, let's start at a very simple high level. Great start of the ecosystems have three kind of basic components. And what we see in most, um, as we observed, you know, 75 to 100 ecosystems directly, is that there's some uh, commonalities in terms of their approach to these three things. These three things are, and pardon the uh, alliteration here, but activities, actors, and attitudes. And so typically what most communities do is they're heavy on the activities. They're standing up an accelerator, like our, our FinTech accelerator in Charlotte. Um, you know, a hackathon, a startup weekend, um, coffee meetups, right? So they're heavy on activities. What they, some of them are good at making the kind of actors inclusive. And to give you some example, what makes for a great ecosystem is when, uh, you know, researchers and, and, and uh, professors at universities are involved economic development people and chambers of commerce, you know, more kind of government and NGOs are involved. Uh, that means both kind of city, county, and, and state. Um, you have obviously entrepreneurs, but you also have the serial entrepreneurs very involved. You have investors of all types, from angels to, to venture capitalists. Um, and uh, one of the big ones are corporations, and corporations understand that a healthy and vibrant startup ecosystem has a large indirect benefit to them. Sometimes a direct benefit, but at least an indirect benefit in terms of creating an environment where entrepreneurs and thinkers and, and disruptors exist. And that can be very beneficial to local corporations. So when I think about actors, it's just not the inclusivity of all of them, but that they're connected and they're supportive and they stand up for a common goal. And the common goal is what the goal is, what's best for the ecosystem, not necessarily what's best for their day job. So that's the actors category, and most people fall a little short of that in terms of collaboration and support among an inclusive set of actors. And then what most people um, fail to do well is to kind of come at that with the right attitude. I, I mentioned kind of collaboration, and it's a word that many people will sign up for and say, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm collaborative. And in truth, it, it really isn't. And what you find is that, especially in entrepreneurial ecosystems, that there's certain silos or groups of people who are very much heads down. I'm gonna give them benefit of the doubt, no judgment here, but they're trying to get their organization, their program, their thing up and running. And you know, we all you know, want more focus in our life and know that you know, more focus should yield better outcomes. But what happens is they lose sight of the whole. And one of the key components of a, of a you know, leading uh, startup ecosystem is what we call, they achieve a state of emergence. We've heard of this 
that maybe not that work. But an emerging ecosystem is where the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts. Where those things fit together in a way that creates literally a one plus one plus one equals five. And unfortunately, when you don't have capital collaboration and inclusivity, and you don't have this supportive cross-support kind of environment when you're kind of kind of working in silos, you you the, the outcome is more of a one plus one plus one equals two point one, right? Yeah. So you're actually in a in a worse state, not a, not even the sum of the parts. You're worse than that because people kind of um, combine. So the, I, we consider kind of the attitudes as the foundational layer. Of what makes for a great ecosystem. And so William and Evan, the idea here is that if if we if we have that really simple kind of rubric in terms of activities, attitudes, and actors, what we do is we come in and say, listen, let's make sure, um, let's kind of do an assessment or an audit. It's more about connectivity and attitudes and culture and less about counting co-working spaces or startups or the amount of capital that's being deployed. That comes along for the ride, but we do kind of an audit and assessment of those things, and then we start to kind of coach up and facilitate certain activities that hopefully start to shift the attitudes to be more productive, bring more actors in that kind of rounds out the team, and then stands up the activities that, that kind of hopefully propel that community forward. Perfect. And that leads into kind of the next question. I'll let y'all tackle it together or independently. Um, Evan, since you're here in Charlotte, maybe you want to tackle it. Um, you know, there's been a lot written and talked about what's wrong with Charlotte, so let's stay away from that. Um, when you look at Charlotte, what are the things, what's the scorecard right now that's positive that we can continue to build on? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It's one I, I kind of ask myself a lot and. You know, after long days, I'll go home and talk to my wife about it. And 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 to sum it up first, and then I'll get into some details. Um, you know, the way I kind of talk to her about it is, um, rather than looking at, like you said, some of the the headwinds that people like to chat about, um, I look at I look at the opportunities, and I, I think to myself, how can I compare this to what I've seen in Boston, right? And so I look back, like maybe maybe even before I became an entrepreneur, um, about 20 years ago, and you know Boston was a smaller uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem that was probably in um, maybe a gear or two ahead of where Charlotte is, but um, but required a, a framework, right, uh, in order to get to the next level. So. Um, so I, I so that excites me. That gets me really excited. I I think I would rather be in a place like that than a place that is fully matured. Mainly because as an entrepreneur, my number one uh, ambition is to build things, right? And um, if I was in a much more mature ecosystem, I, I don't know that there'd be much for me to build. Um, so. So specifically, the things that I've observed, and and I've really spent the last year, um, you know, my kind of like my nights and weekends time trying to immerse myself here in the entrepreneurial community, and um, and so the things I've I've seen are one, I do believe uh, the community is inclusive, 
um, you know, I think we do, we, we can always be, become more inclusive. But uh, an example there is uh, as a newcomer to the community one year ago, um, I'm kind of like one or two people removed from an introduction to anybody here in Charlotte. Um, you know, there's always a couple of big names that people throw out. I, I could, pro- I, even a year ago, I probably could have gotten introduced just within like one or two people. Um, and nobody ever declined a meeting with me, right? And, you know, I haven't done anything spectacular, um, so there's no reason for them to kind of get excited to meet me. So, so that tells me that it's inclusive, right? Um, and then also I've noticed that there is a presence of a strong creative class. Um, again, that can always grow, um, but there's a lot of very impressive people that I've met over the last year. Um, and, and some of those people are also eager entrepreneurial leaders, whether they're working on their first startup or they've exited and um, kind of donating their time to the community to help others. Um, and then lastly, I do think there is a strong feeder system. I actually think the feeder system right now is probably larger than, than the entrepreneurial uh, leader um, system, um, which you know, may be one of the challenges, but also one of the opportunities. And so, so I think with a framework such as the one that Chris just outlined that's provided by Techstars, I think all of these individuals, right, the leaders and the feeders, um, I think they can begin to work in lockstep towards similar goals that will ultimately raise the tide for the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Charlotte. Um, and, then, and then more specifically, I was, I was kind of revisiting startup communities, which, which Chris mentioned um, earlier that, that Brad Feld uh, co-authored. And so some of this may be quoted from there. Um, uh, I was listening to it on the way in, and, and it struck me uh, that uh, the concept of kind of experimenting and failing fast, right, which as an entrepreneur, you just that's so ingrained in, in your mind. Uh, you just do that so naturally now. Um, but for those folks that, that you know, maybe haven't started a company, um, the concept is to continually try new things, measure the results, and, and then either modify the approach or, or double down depending on the outcome. Uh, it's, it was kind of popularized by Eric Rise in his book, The Lean Startup, um, some years back. And so I, I, I love this idea of thinking of, of your startup community, and you know, specifically for me, Charlotte, uh, as from the perspective as a lean startup itself, right? And trying lots of experiments and, and measuring those results and pivoting when things are, are not working and being okay with those things failing. Um, and, and, and that doesn't to say, you know, that you want to fail fast across the entire startup community all at once, but rather, uh, you know, fail fast on specific initiatives that just aren't going anywhere or, or attracting little interest or, or not making significant impact. Um, and I think we could be doing more of that. Uh, and I think that could be led by the leaders, the entrepreneurs. Um, what, what I've observed uh, is, is that the feeders uh, are more so uh, playing that role. And so there's, you know, kind of grand plans um, that are kind of defined from the outset uh, of, this, of a new initiative. And, and, um, and, and they, they move forward, right? But, um, but it's not in the way that an entrepreneurial leader um, might build them out. Um, Chris, Chris, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so one of the, one of the new, newer concepts and that'll be uh, kind of the, the backbone of the new book is, is really to talk about kind of culture and attitudes and do it through a science called systems theory. And, 
in systems theory, there's a kind of three or four different kinds of systems and everything, and you know, you can view just about anything through the lens of that. Um, really, what it breaks down to is is kind of a, a mindset. Um, we we view startup communities as a kind of what we call a complex or complexity mindset, and in doing so, um, complex systems like startup communities can't be engineered. You can't you can't have the plan. There isn't a playbook. I like to tell people that if there was a playbook available, um, we'd have hundreds of Silicon Valleys. Uh, hmm. And uh, because and by the way, if anybody thinks it's it's not because of lack of money or, or motivation, right? I mean, believe me, there's communities all over the world that have thrown hundreds of millions of dollars into building entrepreneurial ecosystems and have not achieved what they wanted to achieve. So, you know, you, you can't replicate or duplicate, you know, a system, um, you know, or engineer out or reverse engineer kind of a community. It's not like that. It's it's much more amorphous. Um, you know, I, I like to say if you line up 100 first-time entrepreneurs, there's nobody in this world that can pick, you know, the five or so that might be successful. Um, so to that end, the whole concept of trying to build a plan, execute the plan, those things are typically the muscles used by what we call people that are very good at complicated systems. So I know some of the listeners are going, complicated, complex, aren't those the same things? Yeah. Well, they are synonyms in the dictionary, but in systems theory, they're quite different. And maybe the best analogy that some, some have used is the, the, uh, an idea of a complicated system is like sending a rocket to the moon, right? It's very difficult, but once you engineer out all the specifics, you just follow that very, very, very precisely. Um, a complex system is more like raising a child, and anybody who has two children know that you know even in the same environment, with the same variables, and the same conditions, you get two completely different outcomes. That's like a startup community. So the issue comes, and, and uh, Evans used the term kind of a leader and feeder that Brad uses in the book, the idea is that usually the people that are supporting entrepreneurship, they're either in an economic development position in the city or maybe at the university or, or maybe they've you know, been very successful in their local in a business, been, you know, you know, executive VP of, you know, muckety muck at the bank. Yeah. These people are very, very successful. They're power brokers in the region and they're they mastered the complicated mindset. And the problem is, is when you try to bring that into a startup ecosystem, you actually have a negative impact. Because, as Evan referenced earlier, entrepreneurs, by their very DNA and nature, are very much a kind of operate in a complex, more chaotic, less defined rules, more disruptive environment. And so the very thing that they try to help actually works opposite and drives the best entrepreneurs to regions that have adopted and embraced a more complex mindset. So thank you for that five minutes of complete geekdom. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so is it is it fair to say that Boulder's a little different than maybe other ecosystems are, just to go down this road for a minute? Because in Boulder, Brad was there to kind of help be the leader of it and kind of tinker with it, whereas here in Charlotte or, um, I don't know, in Richmond, if they're doing the same thing, there's not somebody like Brad to really kind of massage it through the process? Um, that's a great question, and I'd love to kind of take two shots at answering. 
at, at a kind of a high level meta, meta level, yes, Boulder is different than Charlotte, and Richmond's different than Boulder, and Boulder's different than New York. And so one of the things that we like to say is that start startup communities are like children. They should never be compared <laughs> and and operated, you know, and there's not one size fits all. So yes, they're different, but it doesn't matter. Um, there, every community has its own kind of personality, set of assets, you know, and, and kind of a person, you know, a, a, a culture. Um, that being said, there is some commonalities and there's no way in the world that every community needs to find and have a Brad Feld. What Brad represented in Boulder, what I represented here in Raleigh-Durham, what uh, um, Bala in Reykjavik, Iceland, who's a good friend, um, uh, which, what the key there is what we referenced before is that entrepreneurs or former entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs play a leadership role. Okay, and so yes, it helps if you know Brad has a presence and a and a personality that kind of convenes people together. But that can exist everywhere. And so as long as you lift entrepreneurs to more of a leadership position, especially successful entrepreneurs, then there's no reason that Charlotte or Richmond or Des Moines, Iowa or Lima, Peru or any place can achieve some level of success. Perfect. No, that helps. And you, uh, you alluded to, you know, kind of one of the questions um, I had in my mind, which um, what uh, what are the common, and may, may, maybe this is the same question I asked you a few minutes ago, Evan, but maybe it's a different way of asking it. What are the commonalities that, you know, exist in other places that we have here? And Again, I don't know if that goes back to where we're talking about the three aspects of great ecosystems, but um, you know, what do we have here in Charlotte? And is that the same question? If so, we'll just go on. Um, I know Evan was. I know you addressed Evan, and maybe Evan, you can jump in if you don't mind me. I'm jumping in for a second. Maybe I can take a slightly different angle um, of attack that might augment what you already said. Um, like any other city, um, there, there's Charlotte has a set of assets that are unique to them. Uh, many people sometimes talk about that, you know, there's a kind of a banking halo and a big company-itis to the personality. I think that can be an asset if connected appropriately. And one of the things that Charlotte has that no other community has is those sets of large corporate beasts, right, that bring jobs and money and attitudes and, you know, connections and customers and all the things that they have. If you think about it, every community has that asset, not the same asset, but that asset of a set of corporate, you know, you know, monsters that help drive the, 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 the community. So that's one thing that Charlotte has. It also is a growing community and a population of a relative size. Our belief is that, you know, depending on how you want to define entrepreneur, that, you know, somewhere maybe a half a percent of any population or entrepreneurs waiting to happen. Um, maybe they haven't realized that. And uh, so, you know, depending on whether you want to call Charlotte a 1.2 million or 2.7 million, depending on what, you, what the geography you draw upon, we're talking about upwards of 50,000 plus entrepreneurs. And I'm talking about high growth, not kind of Main Street. 
and none of us would ever say that we have access and we that we see 60,000 50,000 entrepreneurs operating today which means we have not given them the means by which to come out of the woodwork come out of their basements come out of their current job and say listen there's a place for us to 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 join in so to back to your answer what does charlotte have it has a population of you know really motivated you know people that we just it, they're kind of like a, a customer set waiting to waiting to be deployed and we just got to figure out how to kind of go engage them so kind of expand on that a little bit is that um Obviously, Evan, that's one of the things that you want to help do here in Charlotte is just to tap into that resource, build it, grow it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, part of that is bringing tech stars here to Charlotte potentially as well. Um, how does tech stars or how could tech stars help unleash or fuel that fire, so to speak? Right. Yeah, I love this I love this concept of kind of activating um, maybe dormant or, or latent entrepreneurs. And, and I think there's multiple pillars that, um, that would allow that to come to fruition. And, and so an accelerator would only be one of those, right? Yeah. Other things have to occur. But, um, but I do believe that, uh, that the Techstars brand uh, would bring um, a sense of um, uh, achievement to, to, the, to the city. Um, in the form of an accelerator, and um, yeah, made some introductions over the last year to the to the TechStars accelerator folks, um, which is which is different than than what what Chris does at TechStars, and um, and they've made the rounds over the last six months, and and they they've been met with strong support uh, from the public sector and also the entrepreneurial community as a whole. I, I think everyone recognizes that that the Techstars brand and and the startups it would bring to the city would ultimately serve as one of those pillars that would bring the ecosystem to a more mature stage. Um, the uh, I don't I don't know that that gets kind of those those dormant entrepreneurs um, uh, to be one hundred percent activated, but it, but it's a portion, right? So I will give you an example. I. Um, uh, spend some time uh, mentoring and advising uh, some of the companies out of the um, the fintech accelerator uh, at Packard Place and um, they have uh, their setup is they'll have like an advisory board there'll be six or seven folks on that board and you meet maybe like four or five times during a, a cohort and you give advice to to the awesome entrepreneurs that come here during that cohort and um, and oftentimes I'm maybe only one uh, one out of those six folks entrepreneurs uh, on that advisory board, right? And um, and that's not that's not good, right? I when I you know when I was playing kind of the same role up in Boston for uh, for TechStars and their accelerator and um, and what I plan to do um, with MJ and her accelerator in Cary, North Carolina, for MetLife, um, it's it's reversed. So you have you know say you have a group of six advisors, and they're almost always entrepreneurs. Um, so, so I think I think what I'm saying is very similar to um, what Chris has pointed out here, in that there are entrepreneurs out there in Charlotte, right? It's just a matter of um, getting them out of their their basements, so to speak, um, and, and and getting them to a place and activating them. Um, 
And I think, and I think an accelerator can help to do that. But I also think um, some of the things Chris is doing for cities uh, would be um, just as beneficial. And then there's other pillars that have to happen as well. Um, but those are really good starting points. Hey, now, hey, Bonnie, I'd love to jump on that thread for a second because this is exactly like having. I, thank you for bringing that that little subtlety up between an advisory board and what the makeup of that group is. And maybe I can, you know, for, for any of your listeners who, who are not currently an entrepreneur, let me share with you a, a slightly subtle and nuanced approach that actually means everything um, to, to what we're talking about. Entrepreneurs are snobby, opinionated folks by almost by definition, right? So you got two of them here, which we're, you know, we're nodding our heads in the right direction. Um, Entrepreneurship is very aspirational, okay, as well, which means that, you know, when I, first of all, I have to have, I have to get by this fear that doing this, I'm going to have hopefully some amount of success, almost blindly, right, and faith that this is going to, so I have to get over that fear and, and make the leap, as we say it. In order to do that, I need to be around my tribe of people um, that feel like they're in the same situation that I've been or were in. And it, it provides some amount of comfort. This is why co-working spaces work really well. But those co-working spaces, for me to be around my tribe, have to be other entrepreneurs, not lawyers or accountants or architects, right? Because they're not on the same journey as I am. So again, these are little subtleties that all add up to something you know, important if done, if done right. Um, in terms of that aspiration, when I've launched my company and I'm sitting in a co-working space and I have access to investors and mentors and other people in my tribe and I can try out ideas and ask questions and, and you know get the resources I need, sometimes it's just knowledge resources, what I'm doing is looking across the hallway and I'm looking at that person who's maybe a year or two ahead of me and they have three or four people. And I say to myself, God, when I grow up, I just want to be like them and have a couple staff and imagine that day when I have my business has mature enough that I have three or four people and then you know if you're lucky enough to get to there you're looking across you know maybe on another floor and there's a company with 15 to 20 people and they've raised a couple million dollars of venture capital and and when you see that aspirationally and you're like god when I grow up I got these three or four I just want to be I want to you know raise some money and I got 15 people and I got a hundred customers and so when you, when you kind of paint that picture in terms of that aspiration and you think as an entrepreneur who I want to surround myself with and who I want to lean on, anytime you don't bring in, you, you put non-entrepreneurs in that mix, it, it, it kind of ruins the, the cocktail, right? And, and, and I apologize for anybody who's not being an entrepreneur, but if you have not been on that journey and you don't understand the pressures and the, and the, and the piece of that journey, it's really hard for you to help in some ways. And there can be a blend, but it can't be, you know, it's gotta be weighted much more strongly to entrepreneurs. And so one of the first things that we coach and fix in an area is just bringing an awareness of that one aspect that most non-entrepreneurs don't get or don't have never thought about is that their advice, though maybe sometimes relevant important is usually not is usually discounted as compared to someone who's actually been on the journey so just changing the mix 
in the accelerator or in the co-working space or in various meetups can be one of the most um, engaging and activating things that you can do. So that's one of the things that is subtle but really critical. No, that's a really strong point. So, um, you know, it's the it's the downside to Charlotte, as you've both mentioned, and I know we said we're not going to talk about it, but it's, it's more of a corporate town than it is anything else. So you do see that flow through for sure. Um, from an outside perspective, um, and Chris, I, I keep pointing at Raleigh just because you're sitting up there, but it seems like Raleigh took off kind of on the back end of the 2008-2009 recession. Um, it was moving along. Um, is that, I mean, you want to, you don't want to say that, you know, a bad thing is a good thing, but is, is an event like 2008, is it a catalyst for people to, to come out and start their own companies as well? Uh, it can be, uh, you know, cer- certainly in, in many cases and Raleigh and Charlotte and, you know, the rest of the United States was, was not, uh, any, you know, none of us were any special in terms of that. You know, there's layoffs, and you know, people are downsizing, and you know, for a lot of people, they're at a you know career mile you know milestone, and kind of saying, all right, what what am I going to do next? Um, you know, some of the best companies are built during recessions, uh, and you know, entrepreneurship is basically recession proof, right? So, I think to kind of take your question a step further. You know, what was happening in kind of 08 and 09, uh, I think it was a group of people that got together and said, you know, this is going to be important, and we're going to kind of throw this on our shoulders and our back, and we're going to go do some heavy lifting, not on which, not unlike what Evan's doing today. And when most of those people were entrepreneurs, see previous story, um, then, you know, you start to kind of gather those entrepreneurs out in the woodwork or out, out sorry out the out in the woods and out out in the uh, in their garages and you know that aren't engaging as a ecosystem and you just start pulling those people in and and what's funny and, and Charlotte shares the same thing as Raleigh Durham is that even though Evans you know you know came from Boston and I came from Chicago and I'm from Philly you know we're a nice group of people like this is one of the easiest places both of our cities to engage in, that a newcomer can come in and get a hundred, you know, meetings without any friction. You know, call it a kind of a byproduct of the Southern way, and you know that we're friendly people. I can tell you this doesn't happen to the same extent in New York or Philly or Boston and other places. That's one of our assets. So, you know, what I get back to is I think what Raleigh and Durham did back in kind of 09 and 010 is we just started connecting people. And we just started supporting each other. And again, I said success is a thousand nudges. Those are nudges, right? And at the end of every one of those kind of meetings, not unlike what I did for Evan when when he reached out a while back, is you make a few introductions. You say, you guys should get together. Someone says, you know what? Let's set up a coffee meetup of entrepreneurs. And, And you attend it. You vote with your feet. And all those things start working together to create something magical. Now, every complicated mindset in the world is going, Ah, bullshit, right? I don't believe you. You know, we need a plan. We need capital. We need a program. We need to put money into this building. Yeah, those things are important, but they're not the only thing. Again, it gets back to those attitudes. 
we created an unbelievable, or let's say we optimized a already friendly state and supercharged connectivity. And that's what made Raleigh and Durham grow the way it has grown in the last 10 years. So Chris, you've been, when did you move here, Chris? I moved in 2005. Okay, so 14 years ago. Um, Evan, you've been here for a year. Um, I grew up in eastern North Carolina, and for the most part, anything west of 95 was a non-existent ecosystem that we were forced to go to from time to time. Um, there are some divides here in the state of Charlotte, and one of them happens to be a little bit of a, um, you know, a quote-unquote battle between the Raleigh-Durham area and the Charlotte area. Um, it seems to be going by the wayside a little bit. Um, I mean, can we work together? Is that possible, Evan? I mean, obviously, you're already working with Chris, so you're already showing it. Maybe it takes two outsiders to come here and break down the break down the barrier, so to speak. But how are we going to work with Charlotte, or how is Charlotte going to work with Raleigh to kind of continue to advance and forward? And for some of the old-school Charlotte people to accept the fact that Raleigh might actually have some things that can help us along the way as well. Sure. Yeah, I don't... So I don't maybe it's like South Boston and North Boston. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know how that, dy- that dynamic works. Yeah, yeah. You probably want to stay away from South Boston 15 years ago. But um, I, you know, I I don't run into a lot of folks here in Charlotte that talk about um, you know a rivalry um, with with Raleigh Durham. Um, so I so I just don't hear that. Uh, or at least I haven't heard that a lot in the last year. I I think what I do hear is. Um, the things that um, that Raleigh Durham is doing that that is good, and um, and and I think uh, given the kind of the inclusive mindset that I've observed, um, the lack of friction for introductions here, I think it's a lot of what Chris is talking about. It's connecting people, right? And um, and so if that means that it's connecting ideas that are working there, or if it's um, connecting, you know, coffee meetups, smaller kind of initiatives, um, then, I, then I think those little nudges, I think those are helpful. Um, so I think there's a lot of learning that, that we can take in, and, and it's, it's kind of at a place where um, we have to be open to new ideas, right? If we want to get into, as you said, second gear, so um, so that's been my observation, at least. I I really haven't seen um, I haven't seen kind of like the the Red Sox Yankees rivalry that um, that you might be alluding to. Oh, fireworks action! Yeah. Um, if you were appointed mayor of entrepreneurship of Charlotte tomorrow, what would you do first? Probably the first thing I would do is I'd try to fail really quickly, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think it's I think that would set an example. So um, so for me and I mentioned it earlier. I, I think that it's really important that um, the existing entrepreneurs, um, for which there's a lot of great entrepreneurs here, um, and the ones that are dormant, um, I think would be viewing this um, to see that it's okay to start up a small little initiative for for the ecosystem, and you know what if it it gains traction, great double down. If it, if it doesn't, no worries. Uh, kill it and start something new. I think that mindset, um, I'm not seeing a lot of that. Uh, I see that um, from the feeders, right? The folks that aren't entrepreneurs that are doing a great job supporting the ecosystem. I'm just not seeing a lot of that uh, from the entrepreneurs. So 
So I think having that is kind of a, a core value, uh, if you will, um, in the entrepreneurial base would be would be really important. And and I I think it's important to celebrate that, um, whether it's a win or a failure. I think folks need to celebrate those things. No, I agree 100%. So we need to figure out a way to celebrate failures more here in Charlotte. We haven't done it very well. Um, nobody likes to talk about failing. Um, people talk about capital and talent in Charlotte um, and always in the negative light. Are you more of the opinion that if you build the ecosystem, both will come? To pull, My son made me watch Field of Dreams a month ago, so I'm still in the Field of Dreams mindset. Um, is that kind of where we are right now, or do you think we have enough of the mix and match that it's just gonna, it's just gonna unleash as things continue to build out? Right. I, I mean, I'll give a quick summary. I know Chris has some strong opinions here, so uh, I've come to the conclusion that Chris has a fair amount of strong opinions. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I think in a, good, in a good way, Chris. Brett, I think Brad says it says it best in the book. There's there's always going to be. Um, an unequal weighting between capital and um, and demands on capital, right? And I think you just have to be okay with that. You got to get over it. Um, getting stuck on that, I don't think that benefits anybody, right? Um, and on the talent side, I I don't know. I've run into a lot of very talented folks here. Um, there are certainly um, kind of code schools uh, in the area that produce uh, engineering talent. Um, probably. If you probably talk to those folks, they'd probably say that um, they could um, they could train more individuals, uh, and as long as there's places to place them, um, I probably know that to be a fact. Um, so I so I don't I don't really get the kind of like the talent argument. Yeah. Um, you know, in being from Boston, what I did observe is most of the folks that went to university there left yeah. right afterwards. So um, I, I think that having um, a strong collegiate base is important, but I but I think it's kind of a tertiary thing, and I don't think that that's a non-starter for um, creating a talented um, set of um, set of individuals that can work within um, the the ecosystem. To build the ecosystem, and it'll come then. Sure. So, cool. Thanks. I can tell my son that. <laughs> so, Chris, you had something you wanted to add? Oh, uh, I got so much to add. So, let me just start with um, what, there's not a rivalry because we should be compared. Um, and because this isn't a zero sum game where we're fighting over the crumbs of the pie. Yeah. We're all trying to make the pie bigger. And, uh, you know, Charlotte's win is our win and our win is Charlotte's win because we just bring more awareness and a spotlight to North Carolina is a great place. Um, back in 2016, my partner and I tried to uh, kind of expand our efforts to do more of a statewide effort. We didn't get where we wanted to go, so we moved in a different direction. But that opportunity still exists today. And I think there's just tons of reasons for us to be even closer together than we are today. I have plenty of friends, venture capitalists, that spend as much time in Charlotte as they do in Raleigh or you know Richmond or any other place. So uh, anybody who has this idea that this is a competition and that there's kind of a, takes a win-lose attitude, um, I have no time for. It's it's just wasted energy and it's just silly and stupid. Um, our win is not your loss, and your win is not my loss. In terms of, I agree with Evan. In terms of capital and talent, when people talk about those things, those are typically 
top-down kind of, you know, meta discussion points that make complicated thinkers feel good about what's going on. When you think that there's a kind of a thing, what I call the silver bullet strategy, if we just do this one thing, we just had a $50 million fund, or we just had an innovation center, or if we just had, you know, this unbelievable talent skills development program, everything would be fixed. And that's a fallacy. There's not there's not a checklist of things we need to do. Yes, maybe there's not as much development talent in Charlotte as there could be, but guess what? That exists in every city all over the world. So Charlotte's no better or worse than any other city. And you know, I think to, to buttress you know, Evan's point is that listen, you get things started, you get things connected. When you build an environment for kind of, you know, younger, more, you know, complex thinkers entrepreneurial types when you bring an environment where they can succeed then they'll stay and then they'll start migrating in and they'll, they'll boomerang home if they went away for college to boston or seattle or chicago and that'll just start building that that environment which will kind of create this flywheel effect and talent will start to take care of itself and when those great entrepreneurs start building great companies capital will come and it'll, and it'll kind of evolve naturally when I started here 10 years ago, there was maybe, you know, one large VC and maybe one small micro fund. Well, today we have two or three micro funds. We have two uh, to three robust angel groups. And that big VC no longer exists because we don't need it. And capital is flowing from the outside. None of that was coordinated or, you know, kind of uh, subsidized. It just happened naturally in response to a great environment. So... Further opinions from Mr. Hively. <laughs> and good points, too. So we're starting to kind of come up to our hour. Um, and I always hate having an arbitrary hour set because I could keep going for another hour if I really wanted to. Um, but, you know, I drive around Charlotte. Sometimes I drive around 485. And, you know, you see the development is going to come from a real estate perspective, right? It's just natural. Um uh, yeah. um, when you look at the Charlotte startup community, um, how do you see that it's going to come to? Um, you know, is it a certainty, or do we have to continue to do the things, the right things, um, in order to make it a certainty? Either one of you. All right. I was trying to share the microphone with my friend Evan here. Uh, it's not a certainty. And in fact, uh, as I mentioned, as a 20-year journey, you're never done. And so, because um, even if you have some success over the next two or three years in a certain aspect, uh, things change, right? Systems change. The inputs and the variables all change. So we're never done which is why we need to set up a good kind of foundational platform from which to go forward. Um, you know, the good news is this is still, you know, I, I've worked in communities that have now half the population that they had at their, at their peak. You want to talk about a personality? Uh, you know, we may have a little bit of a kind of a, well, we're just, you know, down in these Southern towns of Raleigh and Charlotte. I don't know what we can do. We're not Seattle or Austin or Boston. 
you know, we, we all have our challenges, but, you know, I'm talking about cities that we're working in that, you know, are half the population they used to be, you know, manufacturing and businesses have left. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not working with those problems here in Charlotte and Raleigh. So, but that being said, you know, there's still lots of things left to do. Um, we need a lot more participation from various actors in each of our ecosystems. Uh, we need, we need, you know, universities to not operate as silos, but to kind of, you know, work together, combine efforts, and you know, create lots of reasons for and 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 plant those seeds with their students that our communities are great places to start their career. That job is never done. Um, you know, we still have thousands of entrepreneurs out on the edge, not engaged in the community, right? That's the first place I always start is let's just grab the little hanging fruit. There's entrepreneurs out there that, that aren't engaged yet. Let's bring them into the community. Lots of different ways to do that. And by the way, room for anybody to step up and say, hey, I want this is important to me and my community, and I'm going to take time or nights and weekends or convince my day job that this is an important part. And I'm going to take an active role and I'm going to host something or convene something or, or, or work with a couple organizers to stand something up. Every one of those pieces is a nudge. And you guys can, you know, by now you can repeat the, the mantra. Success is a thousand nudges, right? Yeah. So the more of them we got, the better off. Because we can't predict how which one's going to work. So let's do lots of them. Lots of opportunity for anybody out there to step up and say, I want to, you know, I'm going to vote for my with my feet and my time. So two quick questions to kind of end with, then and I'll ask them both, so I don't forget. I'll put the onus on y'all to remember. Um, one, and I think it's what you just said. But what can the community do to support the entrepreneurial ecosystem to continue to go from here? And then two, when you refer to entrepreneurs. Um, is it fair to say the person that started what is now a 50-person company in South Charlotte is considered an entrepreneur and they've got something to contribute back to the ecosystem? Or are we only talking about growth stage entrepreneurs in that aspect? So, double questions. I got them written down. I'm just kidding, just in case we forget. So, uh, Chris, I guess, or Evan, I guess you take the first one for sure, which is what can the community do to continue to support the efforts that have been built upon for the last five to eight years here. Right. <clears throat> so, so it, I think for me, it just comes back to entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. That's that's the starting place, um, and maybe that's because it's it's easiest for me. So, um, what I would love to see and um, is is for for that mindset to continue to grow. So, um, for entrepreneurs to make a commitment to spending you know, 20% of their total time towards helping other entrepreneurs. I think that that will um, naturally build on itself. Um, that's the place that I've committed to starting. Um, so you know, probably after observing things for six months, for the last six months, that's exactly what I've done, is just try to be helpful. And um, I've been trying to do that here in Charlotte, also um, 20, 30 minutes north of Charlotte, where I live in, in Davidson. And, and my hope is, is that um, others will, um, will see that and be a part of that and, and, and see how it gets me kind of jazzed up. And, and they'll want to do the same. 
Um, so that's probably where I'm going to kind of like dedicate and focus my time at least for the next 12 months. Uh, and then and then reassess, reevaluate from there. Uh, I, I am interested in, um, in starting kind of like a smaller initiative, whether it's kind of like a coffee meeting type thing, um, similar to what was done in Boulder many years ago, um, just to get people into the same room. Um, I think I think that that's probably that's that's my interest and my contribution. Um, Chris, who counts as entrepreneurs? Um, I have a pretty broad, wide definition. And uh, so, you know, as long as someone can provide some value, provide some inspiration or aspiration, um, can share their journey with humility and uh, and have kind of a, a give back component, you know, I, you can call yourself an entrepreneur or whatever you want to call yourself, mentor, community activist, champion. Um, so I think there's lots of room. And, and back to that kind of actors and inclusivity, you know, I, I just leave room for anybody to, to come in. What, what I don't have room for are, are people that view, you know, view this as kind of transactional and put their own personal, you know, um, agenda at the forefront because that's just just not productive um in a casual world i divide up the world is is made up of two different people entrepreneurs and the rest of us who are supporting those entrepreneurs and in in that mindset you know i got lots of room for you know you know you're building a business you know you you define what high growth means 50 people i'm like man high fives you've done an awesome job you know thanks for thanks for doing that um, what I would what I would add to that is that, um, and the and the idea that there's room for everyone, and I know I've kind of hijacked your question and took it off in my own tangent here a little bit, but back to the point of what can everyone do? You know, everyone has room to, to, to give something. You have time, and you have your you know your your experience, and everyone has an experience that would be helpful. And, and uh, you know, as a bunch of silly examples. One of the things that I encourage, that most of the things I encourage people to do don't cost any money. So you don't have to go and get you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. How about if everyone takes 15 minutes a day and introduce two people that you think should know each other? If you think about entrepreneurial success, it's finding the resources, making good decisions to continue to grow before the thing peters out. So in terms of those resources, people, knowledge, capital, all those things get lumped in together, any one of us can help. You know, William, you have a neighbor or a brother or a friend of your wives who has a, has a, is a can be a resource to an entrepreneur. We just don't know it yet, right? So connect those people together and maybe entrepreneurs, just give them a couple points more in, a, in a prob- increasing the probability of success, just a few points. And so Everyone can take a role just by connecting people, proactively searching out ways to help, voting with their feet, showing up at a, at Evans' new coffee meeting, you know, bringing a friend, telling someone about it, blogging, tweeting. Everyone has a. There's lots of little ways that anybody can play a role in this ecosystem. So no, I would agree. So um, yeah, as you said, it takes. Um, 
it takes a thousand nudges um, to continue to go, and in order to get a thousand, you need more people in there giving nudges. So, um, hopefully, those continue here in Charlotte. And I don't know. I'm excited about y'all's um, y'all's pursuit and um, and everything else, and making this ecosystem stronger than it is today. And um, hopefully, and I think we will see more than just a couple of nudges out of the two of you over the course of the next year or so. So, um, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, and thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, William. Thanks for putting it together. Thanks, Chris, for joining us. All right, so that's good. So we are good to go um, at one uh, twenty-one. So just a little bit over an hour, uh, about a minute. So perfect. So, um, so thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. Um, quick side. Quick side note, um, I don't know if I told either one of y'all. Um, I had a startup I got off the ground in 2012. I shut it down in 2015. Um, it was around digital assets. I wrote a bunch about um, about the way digital assets pass in 10 or 12 different peer-reviewed um, articles, journals. Um, got picked up by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, a couple other publications. Um, but. Um, I was really stubborn. I didn't seek outside advice at all because I, I, I knew what needed to be done. Um, and once I shut it down, I, I realized that that was you know a huge mistake and also realized it was part of the problem with the Charlotte ecosystem at the time is there, there wasn't a lot of help to seek out in the first place. Um, and so that was one of the reasons I started the podcast and got directly involved in the entrepreneurial system is, hey, even though it failed, I learned a whole bunch in the process of failure. Um, so how can I contribute that back, A, through just the podcast series in and of itself, and then B, just by being open to meetings and whatnot with entrepreneurs. So um, that's a little bit about uh, of my backstory as to why I sit in this chair and ask these stupid questions. That's awesome. Don't feel bad, by the way. It took me my third startup to uh, to to recognize that going out and seeking outside help is uh, the right thing to do. Fair enough. Well, yeah. we, all, we all learn sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. Yeah, still, still learning, man. Still so, learning. Anyways. Well, cool. Well, Chris, next time you're in town, if I can buy you a drink or breakfast or lunch or whatever, um, you know, love to do so. I know you're on a busy schedule, but um, I'll, um, I'll continue to bend Evan's ear as I can. Well, you know, I'll just reiterate to, to both you guys. I mean, I, I, I definitely have a soft spot for Charlotte. I want to see this state um, kind of, you know, become the state for entrepreneurship. Um, I've talked to our governor about this. I mean, this is, we have an opportunity if we don't screw it up um, or if we don't kind of take the time to leverage. And so, though I won't wake up every morning thinking about how I can help Charlotte, I want you guys to know I want to help. So if there's anything I can do, if there's people you can put me in front of, um, you know, I, I think I told Evan before, like, you know, I was talking to a bunch of guys back a year or so ago. I like cut our fees by a third just to be able to see if I can get, you know, get us to come in there. I'm willing to do just about anything to help you guys out. So just know that that motivation is out there. And if you guys can find a way to, to kind of utilize it and rever- uh, 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 leverage it, I'm, I'm in. So. Thanks, Chris. Yep, I, I, uh, I'm planning to press those people and hopefully uh, get you in front of them at some point in the fall. Yeah. I'm two hours away, so I, I come over whenever I'm asked. By the way, I've been, I've talked to the entrepreneurial students at Davidson. I've done plenty of the, 
you know, the meetups and the, and, the, and the conferences there. So I'm happy to come tell the story whenever anybody wants. Okay. So um, fair enough. Well, if, um, if I can help you anyway, let me know. Otherwise, we'll see you hopefully sometime soon, Chris. Investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey and Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey and Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey and Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.